I try so hard and get so far. But in the end, everybody sold me out to kill me and give me the King Regal. That's a good one. Thank you. Should officially record that, Lisa. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy? I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. This week we're discussing chapter 17 of Assassin's Quest, River Crossing. They're finally getting to their destination. Right. <laughs> where they need to go. The beginning part of this episode, the, this chapter, the epigraph for it, discusses the out islanders and the disdain that they have for the six duchies people and how they underestimated and thought that the six duchies people's care for one another the fact that they worshiped Ida, that they were on land and they cultivated that land meant that they were weak and how they were mistaken in that belief right um i do want to point out that it says that they they had a lot of hatred towards the goddess Ida. Yep. Um, that she was a she was a weak god that made weak followers or whatnot, and that El was not a god to praise, but one to swear to. Yep. And all he gave was challenges to make you grow stronger. And I thought this was really interesting because we know the Out Islanders are a matriarchal society yep. where the woman is the leader and they have a lot of respect for the women and the land that the women are on. So I thought it was really interesting that they harbor so much ill feelings towards Ida, the goddess, when essentially that's what their women do. Their culture still is defined by and surrounds the water. Right. So it makes sense to me, but it is a, a little like a little juxtaposition in there, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. It's just such an interesting contrast, I suppose, of how they live their lives versus what they worship. Right. And and on that note, the duchies are kind of a patriarchal society and I think that they're a little bit more advanced than like women have traditional roles, but we know at least in the higher crust of society, the nobles are expected to play to their gender roles. That's happened more so lately. Cause remember during queen Constance's time, a lot like Hod was hired as the right. leader of the guards. There was a lot of women who were, you know, expected or not expected to do those sort of things. They just did what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And that's more come around with Queen Desire's rule from the inner duchies. That's Because the inner duchies more so leans towards those typical gender roles because they have a cushier life in yeah. general, a lot more money. And on the outer duchies and the coasts, men and women are equal because everyone needs to pitch in. <laughs> <laughs> right. At least that's how it seems to be explained to me and how I pick up on it from Hobbes' writing. It's just, is that it's just harsher on the coast, and so everyone just kind of pitches in to help, even though it does bleed in a little bit from the inner duchies because it's all, you know, one kingdom. 
and some gender roles are there and they're still like women are not equals to men in a lot of cases but it is more equal than the interdutches (laughs) right right there's definitely some type of progress but it's not perfect it's just interesting that they worship a goddess then you know Mm -hmm. i don't know (laughs) all is interesting to me i suppose so this beginning part here talks about how the out islanders kind of underestimate the six duchies folk and believed them weak because of all of this them worshiping Ida. however because of the ineptitude of the government <laughs> right the the small folk of the land could only be oppressed for so long before they rise up in their own defense be it against outlanders or an unjust lord of their own so it's just another reminder that the duchies are separately trying to defend their lands. They're they're rising up. They're trying to organize because the guards couldn't do anything, because the kings didn't do anything, because Regal's not doing anything now. They have to man their own defenses. Right. And I think this is something that Regal doesn't take into consideration, that just because people are afraid of you doesn't mean that you have more power. It just means that they're going to be more secretive about how they're going to overthrow you. Yeah. Obviously, that doesn't come to happen, but I think it is an important lesson that both the Islanders and Regal should be heeding, that you have to treat the people well, and it doesn't matter what type of people they are, people only will take it for so long. Right. And so again, we join Fitz in the morning (laughs) after they've gone to bed for the night in the morning. They're waking up again. It's cold and they're getting stuff together. They are in that uh, bolt hole that Nick has. Yes, they're still locked in getting ready for the morning. Mm -hmm. And they're getting ready and making tea. And Fitz is just skilled out last night. So he wakes up with a headache and immediately starts making elf bark tea, which Kettle snatches out of his hands, sniffs it, and exclaims, kind of horrified, elf bark. Right. That's a vicious herb for a young man to be using. It calms my headaches, I told her. Fitz forces himself to drink it all because it's extremely bitter, as we know. And the look that she was giving him was very strange. I've never seen anyone just drink it down like that. Do you know what that stuff is used for in Chalced? I've been told they feed it to galley slaves to keep their strength up. Strength up and hopes down. A man on elf bark is easily discouraged. Easier to control. It may dull the pain of a headache, but it dulls the mind as well. I'd be wary of it, were I you. I shrugged. I've used it for years, I told her as I put the herb back in my pack. All the more reason to stop now, she replied tartly. She handed me her pack to put back in the wagon for her. Now, looking at this conversation from our point of view, who have read all the series and especially this book before, she was properly trained as a member of a coterie in the skill. Elfbark was probably warned against pretty severely because it does hinder your ability in the skill in some way. It stunts you in some way. It stunts your growth. Yeah, it definitely seems to be emphasized here that the mind also is dulled that your mind is affected and i thought this was interesting because i wonder if 
the reason Fitz has been making such horrible decisions has been because of his increasing usage of elf bark. I don't know. It it could be possible, but I don't know if it's specifically like it just makes you dumber or not. No, I'm not have good critical thinking or anything like that. I don't know. I'm not trying to say dumber, but I think maybe less observant. Probably how Rosemary can get around without Fitz thinking anything, although that one was really secretive. And Chade didn't suspect it either. So, right. But Chade wasn't in the room and watching things happen. So I don't know. I just, I wonder if a little bit of Fitz having such a hard time with his depression and Fitz making such horrible choices can also be thanks to all the elf bark he consumes. We know he consumes a lot. Depression, yes. I think we've talked about that before. Right. Puts him into a funk for sure. Choices, maybe. It's possible. Right. And I don't want to say that I don't think he has real depression, quote unquote. I think the the depression is there. I just think that it's probably exasperated by this medicine that makes it worse. <laughs> so they get going. And around afternoon, Nick calls for a halt and sends a couple men ahead. So Fitz is obviously curious, and he sends Night Eyes after them to chase them. Nick has also gone ahead, just yep. to say. Which I definitely underlined because I'm like, ooh, this is shady. <laughs> it's happening. And one of the men that stays with the caravan asks Fitz or yells at him to call his dog back. I sat up and made a show of looking around for him. He's probably just scented a rabbit. He'll be back. Follows me everywhere, he does. Call him back now, the man told me threateningly. So I stood up on the wagon seat and called Night Eyes. He did not come. I shrugged an apology at the man and sat back down again. One continued to glare at me, but I ignored him. Obviously, Night Eyes and him have an understanding. Fitz wants to know what's going on. Sends Night Eyes ahead, and he can scout like that. Do you think... That they know that he's witted, and so they know that the dog is going to see for him. Dog, it's a wolf. I I think so. I mean, that's partially what I thought as well last episode. Right. Where the men were aware that they were turning in someone, maybe not specifically the witted bastard, but someone of the wit or that the king was looking for or something like that, you know? So I feel like that was known, and it's like, hey, keep an eye on Fitz and the dog and his companion. Right. So Fitz again talks about how cold it is, how they're all kind of huddled together, how everyone's miserable here. Night Eyes also, while Fitz is commiserating about how cold it is, talks about what he's seeing. He sees men pulling rope by the river, and Fitz is a little frustrated because Night Eyes is focusing on the men, and Fitz wants to focus on what they're doing, which... Kind of is a downfall. I wish he would have paid more attention to the men themselves instead of the rope. But from what Fitz is seeing, it looks like they are pulling a barge out from hiding under the water. And everything looks good to him right now. Yeah, definitely. There are two other men on the far side digging through a pile of driftwood 
to, you know, reveal the barge. And <laughs> Kettle pokes him during this and says, wake up. And because he's, you know, staring off into space with night eyes. And he has to follow along because they started going again towards that area. So obviously Nick and the smugglers did not want anybody there to know how they hid the barge or, you know, where it came from or anything like that. Right. So he describes this area where they're going to be crossing, and a lot of it looks like it was an old crossing for an old barge because there's a barge that's half sunken with, you know, grass growing out of the top of it in the river. There's, you know, busted down huts and everything's worn down in this area. So obviously this was place to cross before and Nick and the smugglers are using it again, just concealing that they're using it. He says that a team of men had attached the revealed barge and were working it across the river to them. It was not a large vessel, and the river was very angry and tossing it all around, and it was dunking underneath the water a little bit and bouncing heavily on top of the water, and pretty much it was not going to be dry (laughs) going across. Right. They were going to get wet no matter what, and it would not be fun. And it's very, very dangerous as well. The pilgrims obviously are anxious at this. And one of them says, what choice do we have? Which quiets them down, but they have a right to be anxious because it's crossing on a like raft, basically, (laughs) with railings on either side, but an open deck otherwise on a raging river where you can see a busted down barge sunken next to that. Right. And it's. (laughs) freezing cold outside this water is not warm if you fall in you're probably gonna get hypothermia and die yeah (laughs) definitely so it's not necessarily a safe track and so they have a system to go across uh nick's wagon and team the horse team were load um load number one they cross probably also to you know maybe calm some fears show the pilgrims like what's going to happen as it goes across that sort of thing. That's what Fitz assumes. And they come back across um, and laden it down with some more of the the pilgrims and their equipment and things like that. And the, the, the subsequent trips as they keep going across gets the men just soaked who are coming back across here and unloading right. and helping out. And they're very angry and it's... Um, <laughs> it's not great. A couple of men rode the barge back as it came across. They did not look happy about it. They clung to the railings and winced away from the flying spray off the river. Nevertheless, they were both soaked by the time the barge reached our side and stepped off. One man gestured Nick to the side and began to confer with him angrily, but he clapped him on the shoulders and laughed loudly as if it were all a fine joke. He held out his hand and they passed him a small pouch. He hefted it approvingly before hanging it from his belt. I keep my word, he reminded them, and then strode back to our group. Had that section highlighted because obviously, as we find out soon here, the men on the barge are actually Kingsguard. And this is Nick giving them the bribe or accepting a bribe from the guards themselves saying like, yeah, I'm keeping my word. We're going to deliver you the, the witted bastard here. Oh, I thought this was Nick reminding them that he has to get Fitz across the river. Possibly. Because he told Fitz he'd get him across the river. So he's a man of his word and he'll do it. 
possibly there's a lot of he and his and it's kind of it, it confused me the first time through of who was giving who the pouch of money because both Nick and the captain of the guard here exchange money or something. <laughs> so, well, I think this is, I think they call him Mark. Yeah. Um, captain Mark, Mark, Captain Mark giving Nick the money because later it's asked where the money is that they right. bribed the smuggler with. And they yeah. try to say, Oh, must've went with him down the river. Mm-hmm. So the pilgrims go across some of them wish to cross in the wagon, but Nick is saying, you know, the heavier the load, lower it is in the water, more wet you get, that sort of thing. So they go across next. And he insists that Starling and Kettle go on with that passage as well. Kettle wants to stay with her wagon, but Nick persuades her not to saying like, oh, your horses are going to be a nightmare to go across. You don't want to be there when they do so you go on this one and tom you can control the horse you seem pretty good with them you'll go on the one after that right this is interesting because we know that nick is planning to wait until they get on the other side to have fitz captured but it doesn't work that way and i wonder what the point was of separating them anyway well there there's a conversation later on where when Fitz is captured and brought to Burl, Burl says, well, you should have separated the minstrel out right away um, so she couldn't see you capturing Fitz. And I feel like if the captain didn't go overboard, as we'll soon see, (laughs) he might have arranged that. And that might have been the plan originally. I don't know. Well, I just don't. Isn't it the captain who starts the fight? In the middle of the barge, how would he have arranged her to be taken away before seeing that if he's already on the barge and taking action? I don't know. I I just feel like it it is a deliberate separation, you know? Sure. It must have. I'm just assuming it must factor into somehow to their bribing or negotiations with the guards. Sure. And so Nick is watching the pilgrims cross. And he's standing next to Fitz and reminds Fitz that, you know, a few more trips and then I'll be wearing that earring of yours. And as a reminder, Fitz is not happy about this. And Robin Hobb tells us that, (laughs) but he's given his word on the bargain and he just nods away to that. And despite Nick reassuring all the pilgrims that everything's going to be fine, Fitz hears him heave a sigh of relief (laughs) as the barge does make the crossing over. The pilgrims get off and they bring the barge back over. They lit up the pilgrim's wagon, send that over with the horses as well. It takes a lot of uh, blindfolds and men tugging to get them all there and tied down. Those guys get across. They're okay. And they come back and the two men who rode back that time had the worst crossing yet. So it seems to be getting worse and worse. Right. They're halfway across the river when an immense snag came in sight bearing directly down on the barge. The clawing roots looked like a monstrous hand as the the log bobbed in the fierce current. They try to pull the barge around that or disrupt the path that that log is taking, but it does hit the barge, and the impact had knocked one railing loose. 
Nick shook his head over that and warned his men about it as they drove the last wagon aboard. And that's very important detail because now Fitz is going across. Right. <laughs> with the, with Kettle's wagon, with Kettle's horse, the mare, and Night Eyes jumps on as well. And Nick decides last minute to get on as well. Right. Also... It's really interesting because the two men that had come back on the last barge that almost flipped are really upset and acting as though it was a deliberate plan to hurt them, which I thought was interesting because we know they're not Nick's men. Also, how long had these men been traveling with Fitz? Because they had to have been traveling with for Fitz not to have realized that these are different people, right? I don't I don't know. He just wasn't observant enough to notice that there's now suddenly way more of Nick's guards and they're all new. But, but there has to be people on the other side revealing the barge. Yeah, I suppose. So I feel like it it's Fitz just assumes that this is this is his operation, you know? Yeah, I guess that's a good point. I wasn't thinking about that. Because mm-hmm. they I had was... to they had to reveal the barge from the other side of the river. Right. Here I was like, this doesn't make sense, Fitz. How do you <laughs> how do you not notice all these new people? <laughs> okay, never mind. And so Fitz gets the mare tied down and calm on there. And Nick jumps on last minute and tells two of the uh two of the guys there, you go on across with Tom and the cart. Nick told the soaked men who had already made one trip. Me and my boys will bring our ponies on the last trip. Stay clear of that mare now in case she decides to kick. They came aboard warily, eyeing Night Eyes almost as distrustfully as they watched the mare. And as a reminder, these two soaked men who came across this last time, as Emma said, are Kingsguard. So they have all the information. They are eyeing Night Eyes distrustfully because they know he's a wolf and is the companion of Fitz. So they start across, and obviously this is a very turbulent river. Things aren't going super well because a lot of water is getting across on all of the decks, and the mare is kind of freaking out a little bit. The second time, a plume of water smacked up from the bow and drenched us all. The mare screamed. I let go of my grip of the railing, intending to take hold of her headstall. Two of the men seemed to have the same idea. They were working their way forward, clinging to the cart. I waved them away and turned to the mare. I will never know what the man intended, perhaps to club me with the pommel of his knife. I caught the motion from the corner of my eye and turned to face him just as the barge gave another lurch. He missed me and staggered forward against the mare. The horse, already anxious, panicked into a frenzy of kicking. She threw her head wildly, slamming it against me so that I staggered away. I had almost caught my balance when the cart... Excuse me, when the man made another flailing try at me. On the back of the cart, Nick was struggling with another man. He angrily shouted something about his word and his honor. Fitz ducks the blow from that guy, claws his sword out just as someone else grabs him from behind. Another attack, the first attacker comes at him grinning with his knife blade first, trying to stab or get to Fitz. And at that moment, Night Eyes hit him squarely in the chest, slamming him back against the railing. I heard the crack of the weakened post. Slowly, so slowly, wolf, man, and railing went tipping toward the water. 
I lunged after them, dragging my assailant with me. As they went in, I managed to catch both the scattered remains of the post and Night Eye's tail. I sacrificed my sword to do it. My grip was only on the end of his tail, but I held on. His head came up, his front paws scrabbling frantically against the edge of the barge. He started to climb back on. And then somebody smashes down his head, hand, excuse me, on his uh, shoulder, excuse me, and uh, Fitz lets go of the tail and Night Eyes is swept down the river. Fitz kind of immediately just sends all of his thoughts into Night Eyes. He is trapped down there with a knife to his neck, gives up in that moment, and just is with Night Eyes. And he describes it as putting all his strength into reaching after the wolf. Cold, wet, water in my mouth and nose, choking. I couldn't tell where I ended and Night Eyes began, if he existed at all. The barge scraped suddenly against the ramp, so they got to the other side. And with that thought, Fitz comes up fighting on the other side and is struggling and kind of winning at this point. He's he's trying to make them kill him, but if there were only two of the guards, he would have won because he's, you know, throwing them off and kind of getting loose, but more people come and they capture him. And all this while Nick is shouting like warnings to him pretty much or to someone that people are coming up behind him and Fitz gets bested. There's a lot of guards, so <laughs> he didn't really have a chance anyways. Right. Nick is also captured. He suddenly flung down beside Fitz. One of his eyes was starting to puff shut when he grinned at me. Blood stained his teeth. Well, here we are, Tom, on the other side of the river. I said I'd bring you here, and here we are. I'll take that earring now, as we agreed. My guard kicked him in the ribs. Shut up, he growled. This wasn't the agreement, Nick insisted when he could take a breath. He looked up at them all, tried to choose one to speak to. I had a deal with your captain. I told him I'd bring him, this man, and in return he offered me gold and safe passage for me and the others. The sergeant gave a bitter laugh. Well, it wouldn't be the first deal Captain Mark made with a smuggler. Odd. Not a one of them ever profited us, hey, boys? And Captain Mark, he's down the river away now. So it's hard to tell just what he promised you. Always liked his glory shows, did Mark? Well, now he's gone. But I know what my orders are, and that's to arrest all smugglers and bring them back to Moon's Eye. I'm a good soldier, I am. And this is where the sergeant relieves Nick of the pouch of gold and... Fitz's pouch as well. I I thought that was also Nick's pouch. Like, Nick has two pouches. One is the one of gold that was given to him by Captain Mark. Oh, And the yeah, other was makes, Nick's own pouch. Makes more sense, because Fitz doesn't... He's broke. Like, yeah. He doesn't have money. <laughs> Nick has all of Fitz's money, <laughs> so that'd be a very sad pouch to have stolen. True, true. That makes sense. Nick struggled during this and was beaten up a bit more. Right. And Fitz is rationalizing in his head. He'd sold me to Regal's guards, and how had he known who I was? Pillow talk with Starling, I told myself bitterly. I had trusted, and it had brought me what it always did. I did not even turn to look when they dragged him away. 
I had but one true friend, and my foolishness had cost him again. He goes back with night eyes. But that is, you know, speculation on his part. It's once again him trying to prove to himself that he doesn't need other humans, even though he was so, so, so lonely, even more lonely than he is now, just being him in night eyes. Right. I do want to mention that when Fitz is fighting off all of the men or the three men that turns into two before he is ambushed by the rest of the group, he does vaguely hear Starling's angry cries. So there is context clues that Starling has no idea what's going on either. He just hasn't grasped them, which is fair because he is so worried about Night Eyes right now. He's being beaten or he's fighting for his life. He knows that if he's captured, he's better off dead. Yeah. It's a lot to deal with. And it makes sense that he immediately is like, oh, clearly it's Starling instead of thinking a little bit deeper into like, oh, yeah, we told him about my earring being one of chivalries. Like there were a lot of things that made it seem like I could potentially be Fitz chivalry. Um, But he doesn't think of that in the moment and instead chooses to wallow, (laughs) which is pretty Fitz of him. It's fitzing of him. <laughs> Oof. Oof. He doesn't wallow too long, though, because... He's worried about night he's eyes. He's worried about night eyes. But I do also just want to bring up that Nick is so scummy. Like, <laughs> I don't think he's kidding when he's asking Fitz for his earring. Oh, I thought that was in jest because he's obviously, like, tied up and thrown back down next to Fitz in the ring of guards and beaten up and his smile is bloody and oh i guess i don't know i see i was like here he is asking for this after betraying him i thought i thought it's because he thinks he's still gonna get out of this until possibly they hit him again and then he's like hold on it could possibly be yeah but maybe you're right maybe it was mostly a joke Although it probably it was probably like half a joke (laughs) (laughs) it's like well i want the earring and i think i'm gonna get out of this so We'll see. Also, I wonder if this happened in the middle of the barge moving because Fitz reached for the horse. I wonder if they thought he was going to do something with the wit. And so they all reacted without thinking. And that's why they this whole mess happened. Or maybe if they really just thought, you know what, let's just get it over with. Let's start now. Yeah. Which is dumb because the barge is so shaky. And why would you do that? Fitz clearly has not caught on yet. I don't know. I just don't know why they would have chosen to do that. (laughs) They're dumb. Right. (laughs) So Fitz flings all of his awareness towards Night Eyes again and pretty much is commanding him to get out and directions so he can survive. Night Eyes is scrabbling at the steep and icy bank. He was soaked with water. And once more, he's swept out in the river and finally, you know, gets back out on the on the land after Fitz is commanding him. Try, try again, all this sort of stuff. 
telling him to get out, shake off. Night Eyes isn't even responding at this point. He's so exhausted and just so focused on trying to survive that Fitz is basically walking him through how to live. He finally does shake off, and Fitz has to tell him to, like, hey, walk, you have to find a place to lay down to warm up. And he directs him to underneath a tree, says lay down, tells him to curl up, and closes his eyes for him. He was not thinking very well. The spark that was Night Eyes had almost winked out. He sneezed violently several times and looked around himself. There, I urged, under that tree. Snow had bent the evergreen's fawns and almost to the ground. Beneath the tree was a little hollow, thickly floored and shed with shed needles. If he crept in there and curled up, he might get warm again. Go on, I urged him. You can make it. Go on. This is kind of a reversal of roles. Usually, Night Eyes is the one encouraging Fitz to be alive. He's the one worrying. He's the one who has to experience Fitz almost dying. And here Fitz is experiencing it for the first time, I believe, on the other end. And it's really interesting. I think Fitz doesn't even hesitate, is just so focused on, I have to make sure that Night Eyes is okay. And it really makes me wonder, in the moments where Fitz is fighting for his life without Night Eyes around, does he too stop and not care what he looks like or what his senses are doing? He just makes sure Fitz is okay? Like when he was in the dungeon... And Night Eyes couldn't get to him. I just think it's so interesting how deeply connected these two are. And I'm sure part of that comes from Fitz knows there's no chance of getting out of this at this point. There's no chance fighting. There's no reason to fight. Yeah. And it's noted that the guards think that they might have hit Fitz too hard because he is just staring up at the sky and he's not even blinking. He's just straight face staring during this we do hear a little bit of snippet of conversation besides just their concern for Fitz and they say did you see what that woman did to Skeff he's bleeding like a pig he popped her a good one back and I'm assuming that's Starling yes and then where'd the old one go did anyone find her she won't get far in this snow so don't worry about it so we know Kettle also escaped race Right. So we also hear, you know, he's not even blinking his eyes. He's hardly even breathing. I don't care. Just take him to the skill wizard. After that, he's not our problem. So at this point in the story, we know that he is captured. He is going to one of the Coterie members. And from our previous chapters and the conversation that was overheard, we know Burl is in the mountains. And of course, since we're rereading, we know it's Burl as well. Right. (laughs) That he goes to. But I just wanted to point out that context clues should point to he's going to Burl. Right. Also, as they drag him to his feet, Fitz notes that he doesn't even care. He just he's leaving that body behind because he is reassuring Night Eyes. Everything is okay. It's all safe. Just go to sleep until Night Eyes finally does fall asleep. And then he gently leaves it. So it again feels like this Night Eyes and Fitz role reversal because Fitz is shutting out the negative things happening to him and focusing only on calming night eyes down and keeping him safe and warm. 
And it's really sweet. It's just also really sad because <laughs> they both deserve better. <laughs> True. So he's bound and walking and he sees several guards around the group of pilgrims as well. He doesn't see Starling or Kettle, but Starling is caught at this point. One woman clutched her child to her and wept noisily over his shoulder. The boy did not appear to be moving. A man met my eyes and then turned aside to spit on the ground. It's the witted bastard's fault we've come to this, I heard him say loudly. Edith scowls upon us all. He tainted our pilgrimage. And so, once again, Fitz feels the vitriol coming from common folk when they learn who he is and blame everything on him. Right. Also... Um, clearly it's not Fitz's fault that you guys trusted a smuggler. So maybe that's what Ida is frowning upon. I don't know. Or maybe it's the fact that you didn't want to feed a hungry, starving child. Right. (sighs) These people are horrible. So Fitz is marched to a comfortable tent where he sees Pearl. It is extremely warm in there. And Fitz is kind of stupefied by the warmth of that and the relief he feels for that. And Earl turns to him and asks him, how is it that you aren't dead? There was no good answer to that question. I merely looked at him, expression bland, walls tight. His face flushed suddenly red and his cheeks appeared swollen with his anger. When he spoke, his voice was tight. He glared at the sergeant. Report properly. Then before the man could begin, he asked, you let the wolf get away? And they explain pretty much everything that happened, that Mark went overboard, the wolf with him, so they're probably both dead. And the smuggler, they have him caught, and all of his men. We have those traveling with him as well, though they put up more of a fight than we expected. Some ran off into the woods, but we got them back. We know that the sergeant is lying here because in the future, Kettle was not captured at all during this. Right. And the sergeant is claiming that they got everyone back that ran off. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Because he's trying to save face and take over Captain Mark's position and try to weasel his way up in the ranks here. Right. Except he is not very good at this whole report thing. No. Because he's only answering the question that is asked of him and not continuing on with any stories yeah. so Burl is getting increasingly angry as he tries to get more information out of what is supposed to be a full report and Burl also asks did you recover the gold the captain paid the smuggler the sergeant looks surprised no sir gold paid to a smuggler there was no sign of that I wonder if it went down river with captain Mark perhaps he hadn't given it to the man I am not a fool I know far more of what goes on than you think I do Find it, all of it, and return it here. Did you capture all of the smugglers? The sergeant took a breath and decided on the truth. There were a few with the pony team on the far side when we took down Nick. They rode off before... Forget them. Where is the bastard's accomplice? The sergeant looked blank. I believe he did not know the word. (laughs) Did you capture a minstrel? Starling? Burl demanded again. She got a bit out of control, sir, when the men were subduing the bastard on the ramp. She lit into the man holding her and broke his nose. It took a bit to get her under control. Is she alive? Yes, sir, but... And Burl is laying into this guy. Right. Continuing on, 
saying that, you know, if your captain were alive, he wish he were dead if he were here. <laughs> Just hearing you report because right. it's miserable. And uh, taking control of the whole situation, being imperious and demanding like everyone in the Coterie believes they have the right to be. Which I guess they do because they have authority in the kingdom. Right. Also magic, which these right. people probably don't. Saying that this has been bungled and I will not excuse it. I do want to quick take a note of the smugglers that were on the other side with the pony team and they escaped. They were able to witness what happened and run away because smugglers come back to save the other smugglers. Right. In the next chapter. So that is an important detail that they let some people get away. And Burl doesn't think it's a big deal. Yeah. He's he's more important, like more focused on just Fitz and Starling, which is a short-sighted. Right. But I do think it's interesting how he lays into these people and talks about how they're horrible at their jobs and always mess things up when he can't even do his job correctly. Right. (laughs) So it's just... Ironic, I suppose. The sergeant leaves. There's two guards outside the tent with swords drawn, and he wants to talk to Fitz alone. Right. He does mention before they leave, again, I am not a fool. And I believe he says it a few more times to Fitz. I think this may be a little bit of Regal's words getting into his head. Yeah, probably. It's just so interesting. He continues this, I'm not a fool. I'm seeing more than you think. And maybe it isn't even regal. Maybe it's more will. I don't know. It just. He's so insecure, so clearly insecure about his lack of smarts, of ability, whatever it is. He's clearly insecure, but doesn't stop him from being mean. So and he's competent enough. Yeah, he has potential. Um, if he wasn't a trash human being, so. So Burl has a little monologue for Fitz basically saying, I'm not a fool. You probably have a plan to escape that involves killing me, but I don't care because even though Regal wants you alive, I will not hesitate to kill you if you try anything or the wolf if he's out there. He then threatens fits with harming the smugglers and all the other people there and fits tries to bluff him and say do you think i'd truly care if you spilled nick's blood now that he's sold me to you he smiled it turned me cold for that smile had once belonged to the carpenter's genial apprentice a different burl now wore his skin you're a wily one bastard and have been since i've known you But you've the same weakness of your father and the pretender. You believe even one of these peasants' lives to be worth the equal of yours. Be any trouble to me, and they all pay to the last drop of blood. Do you understand me? Even Nick. He was right. I had no stomach to visualize the pilgrims paying for my daring. I quietly asked, and if I am cooperative, what becomes of them then? Three years' servitude. Were I a less kindly man... I'd take a hand from each of them, for they have directly disobeyed the king's orders in attempting to cross the border and deserve to be punished as traitors. Ten years for the smugglers. I knew few of the smugglers would survive. And the minstrel? 
I do not know why he answered my question, but he did. The minstrel will have to die, you know that already. She knew who you were, for Will questioned her back in Blue Lake. She chose to help you when she could have served her king instead. She is a traitor. His words ignited the spark of, of my temper. In helping me, she serves the true king, and when Verity returns, you will feel his wrath. There will be no one to shield you or the rest of your false coterie. For a moment, Burl only looked at me. I caught control of myself. I had sounded like a child, threatening another with his big brother's wrath. My words were useless, and worse than useless. Which is true. Fitz is kind of out of his element a little bit. I mean, he's been captured before right. almost too many times. But Burl is extremely good at knowing the situation and maintaining control of the situation and yeah. being in control and having the upper hand. And Fitz is not used to manipulating his way to make someone in command feel insecure in that. Right. Well, I think part of the problem also lies in that Fitz has never had to deal with somebody who had such a clear upper hand. True. I think there's a lot of times when his life has been on the line, sure, but there hasn't been very many times when there were captives that he was responsible for. And I know he's not responsible for these people, but it's, it's the Fitz. way that Fitz he works. feels yeah. that way. And Burl is right to capitalize on it. It's the only way he's going to survive. It's so interesting how Fitz has led himself into this corner. And I feel really bad for him because he can't be as reckless as normal, which I guess I also am happy about because I hate when he gets all reckless. But it's sad because he's truly in this corner and I don't want him to feel this desperate. But with the angry outburst, Burl calmly calls the guards to bring in Starling. Fitz once again checks in with Night Eyes, and he sees that his wolf slept now warmer than he was. And Burl is trying to, I don't know, connect with Fitz a little bit. He complains about the quality of guards and Fitz thinks he's actually trying to commiserate with him. He says, we've come a long ways from where we began, haven't we? And he almost sounded regretful. It's, it's an interesting characterization. I feel like Fitz also feels it too, where he's extremely sad for the potential of this former carpenter's apprentice and how genial and nice and bubbly he was before and now he has to be cautious and calculated and mean and has the upper hand on everything so i wonder if through the forced skilling of loyalty to regal from galen if burl can still kind of recognize that just like that regret of this could have turned out differently but you're a traitor kind of thing like it's he's forced to make those rationalizations but he can still feel that that instant or those other thoughts of like, it was a lot different in the beginning. Right. It's hard to tell how the skill changes your thoughts over time, because the only time we've seen what the skill can do when skill suggested is burned into you with fits 
it is over his come to me command from Verity. And this is pretty fresh. It's, I don't know, been less than a month probably. And he can tell what he wants to do, but he physically cannot. And I wonder if over time it just warps, like you, your brain can't handle knowing you want to go one direction and being forced to go the other. And so over time you just think, well, this is the only way there's only one direction anyway. I mean, yeah, that's what happened with Galen too. Right. And so I think it's really interesting to think about potentially there is still that genial boy in, in Burl, but he can't, be that person anymore because there's no room for that in Regal's company. And right. maybe this small talk is part of that person. This like if it has nothing to do with my duty and what I have to do, I can still be a nice guy. I can still try to, you know, shoot the crap with a fellow peer. Like this is somebody who I didn't hate before. I think he's a traitor now, but I recognize that, you know, I do things that are not great. So I'll be friendly it ish. <laughs> like I'm in charge of this situation. I don't have to be horrible. And I think that also is why he agrees to treat Fitz well as long as he plays along. Yeah. Because he does. I mean, later we'll talk about it, I'm sure more, but later he gives Fitz meat and bread he didn't have to do that. He could have still treated him horribly under the guise of try to escape and I'll kill everybody. And instead he's treating him nice. It, I don't think he hates Fitz. I think no, yeah. he just has to do whatever Regal says. Yeah. But I also want to say that Fitz does get in a little bit of a blow because Burl complains about how Moon's Eye is the armpit of the army, that the worst soldiers go there. And Fitz says, well, and Regal sent you here. So what does that make you? To which Burl does reply, as King Shrewd sent your father and Verity before me. Pretty good comeback. It is. It is. Starling is escorted in. She has a bruised face and a swollen lip. And Fitz senses the fury that she is containing and she doesn't have any fear around her at all or in her eyes and Burl addresses her in blue lake will of galen's coterie servant of king regal offered you gold good honest coin if you could help us track down this man you denied all knowledge of where he was he paused as if giving her a chance to speak she said nothing yet here we have found you traveling in his company again he took a deep breath and now he tells me that you, in serving him, serve Verity the Pretender, and he threatens me with Verity's wrath. Tell me, before I respond to this, do you agree with this, or has he misspoken on your behalf? We both knew he was offering her a chance. I hoped she'd have the sense to take it. I saw Starling swallow. She did not look at me. When she spoke, her voice was low and controlled. I need no one to speak for me, my lord, nor am I any man's servant. I do not serve Fitz chivalry. She paused, and I felt dizzying relief. But then she took a breath and went on. 
But if Verity Farseer lives, then he is true king of the six duchies, and I do not doubt that all who say otherwise will feel his wrath. If he returns. Burl sighed out through his nose. He shook his head regretfully. He gestured to one of the waiting men. You, break one of her fingers. I don't care which one. I am a minstrel, Starling objected in horror. She stared at him in disbelief. We all did. It was not unheard of for a minstrel to be executed for treason. To kill a minstrel was one thing. To harm one was entirely another. Did you not hear me? Burl asked the man when he hesitated. Sir, she's a minstrel, the man looked stricken. It's bad luck to harm a minstrel. Burl commands him to get lashes and then tells him to break the fingers again. I don't care which one, he says. Fitz says, I will kill you to Burl. And the head guard, the sergeant, puts him down on his knees, puts a knife to his throat to control Fitz. And the other guard snaps two of Starling's fingers. Because after Fitz threatens to kill Burl, Burl smiles and says, break two fingers. Yeah. She screamed, but her cry could not cover the two small snaps of her fingers as the man bent them backwards at the joints. Show me, Burl commanded. As if angry with Starling that he had had to do this, the man thrust her down on her face. Burl looks, is satisfied, and says, take her away, see she is well guarded, then come back to see your sergeant for those lashes, and then come back to see me. Burl lets Fitz up, or commands the sergeant to let Fitz up. And even though Fitz is taller than Burl, and he looks down at Burl, Burl does not. He's not intimidated at all, because he knows who is controlling the situation. And he says, earlier, you said you understood me. Now I know that you do. The journey to Moonzai can be swift and easy for you, Fitz Chivalry, and for the others. Or it can be otherwise. It is entirely up to you. The guardsmen took him over to uh, a different tent where four other guards inhabited and lived. He gave uh, both bread and meat and a cup of water. Fitz was docile the whole time, just accepting his fate of having his hands untied and retied to eat and then tied behind his back and his legs bound when he laid down, and he was quiet. They kept the brazier burning all night, and always there were at least two watching me. I did not care. I turned away from them and faced the wall of my tent. I closed my eyes and went, not to sleep, but to my wolf. His coat was mostly dry, but still he slept in exhaustion. Both the cold and the battering of the river had taken their toll of him. I took what small comfort was left to me. Night eyes lived, and now he slept. I wondered on which side of the river. So Fitz knows he's traveling to Moonzai as well now. That is the closest guard town of the Six Duchies. And if I remember from the first book, it is the northernmost post and the place where they often have meetings with the Mountain Kingdom, that sort of thing, or right. near there because it is close to the border. So Fitz is going to be docile. He's going to be, you know, he's going to play along because he doesn't want any of the other people to be mistreated. Because that's the kind of person Fitz is. <laughs> right. 
Right. And I think he's probably a little frustrated with what has just happened to Starling. Yes. Which it, it fills another interesting point into the world building along with that epigraph about minstrels being, you know, they can be anywhere with the low, with the high, with smugglers, with bandits, with kings and lords and ladies. Right. Having kind of that taboo, you never hurt a minstrel, but you could execute one for treason if you wanted to, is very, very interesting. Because they are like, you know, the lifeblood, they hold the history of the six duchies. So you don't want to get them on your bad side, I guess. Right. You don't want a horrible song written about you or better yet, your entire family history erased. Right. (laughs) So it's definitely interesting to see more of that culture. And it's not just Fitz who thinks that way or Starling who's shocked. The guards that are ordered to do this also feel this way. Yeah. But it's not worth more beatings for them. So they do it. I do also want to talk about something that we kind of skipped over, which is that Fitz thinks about how maybe Burl was once a good person, but he really likes this life of luxury he has been given and that the skill message of following Regal must have been somehow tied up with this need for power because power is what keeps him in this place of comfortability yeah and he will jealously guard that power and that position as well and so perhaps that is part of what he's moved on to and is focusing on is that if i don't support regal i don't get all these nice things and i like these nice things which kind of makes sense if you think about the brain trying to rationalize why you can't go against someone who's clearly in the wrong right why you can't support the royal family that you know is right the rulers of the land it's yeah. just yeah it's interesting definitely yeah specifically fitz describes him as well there's there's ways around it that hob uses but basically fat like three yeah. times separately in the three pages <laughs> right <laughs> and I mean- that he has an indolent uh lifestyle and that his muscles from being a carpenter's apprentice are gone slack Right. He's just, he's large, but Fitz still towers over him. Yes. (laughs) It's definitely interesting to think about, especially with this whole other layer of maybe Burl doesn't want to be like this, but maybe he does. I think there is a little bit of human nature in craving some type of power, especially if you're somebody who is not treated well. We see a lot of times people who are bullied end up bullying others because then you take some of that ba- that control back. Yeah. Now you're in charge and you feel better. Mm-hmm. Obviously not everyone, but <laughs> I wonder if that's part of what's happening to Burl. Definitely could have. Um, and, and the skill command that we see firsthand from Verity again just to cover it, we don't know if it was on purpose or accidental. Right. So it could have been an accidental. And it was very simple. Mm-hmm. Just come to me. Galen knew what he was doing. He was trying to do it. He could have made it as complicated or as nuanced as he wanted. Right. To instill that loyalty. So there's there's got to be a lot of leaps that the brain has to do to, you know, uh, 
fit it in to your psyche. <laughs> right. <laughs> to get used to your body and your mind like saying, oh, I'm, I'm loyal to these people now and that's that's it. Right. So it's very it's a very interesting character study in just a few short paragraphs because we don't know a ton about these side characters. But there's enough hints here that it just kind of little bit seeps through the page, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Right. And you still see the bits of kindness that have stayed. I hate to call it kindness because clearly this man is crazy and (laughs) like bloodthirsty. I don't know. But it is there is some level of kindness to what he's doing. Yeah, I mean, it's another testament to Hobbes writing because not everybody is black and white. And if you have a villain in here, that villain doesn't have to immediately murder everybody and like treat them horrible and torture and stuff. Bad people can do good things or still have humanity. Right. It's very interesting. And our poor Fitz is just reeling and happy his dog is alive, but... Wolf. Sorry. <laughs> it's hard. They keep calling him dog slash wolf. It's like going back and forth really messes with me. Not that I was doing well before he called him a dog. He's a good pup. He is That's a good it. pup. <laughs> oh, Night Eyes would be so mad with you. I know. Night Eyes would be really mad with me. And that makes me sad to think about, but he's not here. So <laughs> I'll keep messing up. If I met him, I would treat him with the utmost respect. <laughs> You'd try to give him treats. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Like, I don't know what kind of treats you could give a wolf because probably they wouldn't like normal dog treats. Probably like a live mouse or something. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I have any of those, but I would be on the lookout. If I knew Night Eyes was coming, I would be sure to go out and buy the freshest mice. (laughs) And some ginger cakes. Also some ginger cakes. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much for tuning in this week. If you have anything to say to us, please reach out. We're available at isfitshappy at gmail.com or isfitshappy at Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And you can find us and all of our episodes on isfitshappy.com. See you next week.